Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. Amen, man. I'm so glad you guys are here. So thankful to be here with you. I was doing some research a couple of weeks ago, and I came across an interesting story. I read about a man named Forrest Finn. Forrest Finn was a man in his 80s. He was a millionaire. He was an art dealer, and he published a poem uh, kind of explaining where he had claimed to bury a treasure of golden jewels somewhere in the Rocky Mountains. And so he, in this poem, begins to tell about this treasure that he's buried, and it's worth up to $2 million. And in this poem, he gives clues, but he doesn't really tell exactly where it's at. Just somewhere, it's in the Rocky Mountains. And so he gives some details, though, about the treasure box. He tells in the poem that it's 10 by 10 inches, and it weighs like around 40 pounds. He says it's somewhere between Santa Fe and the Canadian border, and it's at an elevation which is above 5,000 feet. He says that it's not in a mine, it's not in a graveyard, and it's not anywhere near a structure. Well, upon kind of releasing that information in that poem, many began searching, of course, for this treasure. A lot of people have gotten hurt searching for that treasure. Even some people have lost their lives looking for that treasure. As a matter of fact, in 2018, a man by the name of Jeff Murphy, 53, was hiking in Yellowstone National Park. And all of a sudden, he just kind of disappeared. They began looking for him, and a few days later, they found him after he had fallen 500 feet into this big crevice. He wasn't on a hike. He wasn't doing anything there, just looking at beauty. He was simply trying to find Mr. Finn's treasure box. As I did some more research, I found out that he's the fourth man to die searching for this hidden treasure. As I began reading that and thinking about that, it kind of reminded me that I believe we're all kind of looking for a treasure. I believe that we're all searching for something that really has true life, meaning, hope, purpose. I believe we're all searching. The Bible says, though, that Jesus alone really is the treasure we're looking for. You see, in Jesus, we do have life. In Jesus, there is love. In Jesus, there is true joy, meaning, and purpose. And when we search for that in other places, I guarantee you will always be disappointed. But Jesus comes to us to bring God's perfect treasure and eternal life and perfect love to us. That's why we sing this time of year, joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her King. You see, when you and I receive Jesus Christ as our king, we will get to experience the awesome treasure that's found in Jesus. I want to talk to you today, though, about speaking about treasures and searching for treasures about these wise men. We sang about those wise men, right? You know about the wise men, right? You've heard the Christmas story. There's these three wise men, and they kind of show up. Well, if they're wise men, they probably have some wisdom, right? I mean, that's probably why they call wise men. So I want to kind of tell you where I'm headed today about these wise men. So here's kind of the sermon in a sentence, if you will. I believe these wise men kind of teach us that we can know King Jesus personally, that, that Christmas, this Christmas, you can know King Jesus personally. 
And our text this morning, we're kind of going to look at is a familiar uh, to a lot of us. It's uh, the Christmas story. I'm just going to begin reading in Matthew chapter 2. So if you want to find that in, in the Bibles there in front of you and the seats there, seat pockets under the chairs, that's great. If you want to open that up on your phone, that's great. If you brought a hard copy of God's Word with you, you want to look into Matthew chapter 2. Now, Matthew is kind of the first one of the Gospels in the New Testament. So if you kind of open your Bible up, you're looking, go kind of the first of that. would be Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. See some of that? Matthew's kind of first. So I wonder if you just kind of rise to your feet as we read God's Word together this morning. We're, we're standing really to honor that this is God's Word, and we really believe in what this is, and we want to honor God and His Word. So I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. The Bible says, now, after Jesus was born, where church? In Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, what's that word? Magi from the east arrived where? That's right. And they said, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Watch this. For we saw his star in the east and have come to, to worship him. Now, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. Well, they said to him, what did they say, church? In Bethlehem of Judea. For this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way. And the star, which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Watch verse 11. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another Way. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Here's the first thing I think we learned from these wise men is, is kind of this. I can know King Jesus personally by looking for him. I can know King Jesus personally by looking for him. If you go back to verses 1 and 2, you hear that Jesus is born there in the days of Herod and Magi come from the east. And they're asking this question, where is the king? Now, sometimes we misunderstand some things about the Christmas story, right? Contrary to most Christmas plays, songs, Christmas nativities, Matthew describes things that have happened sometime after Jesus has been born. I love nativities. I have many of them at my home. So it's not really a slam if you have this necessarily kind of incomplete. It's just teaching you the scriptures. You see, usually in these nativities, we have, of course, we have Mary and Joseph and we have Jesus We tend to have shepherds and we have animals. And there at the manger, we tend to have these three wise men. The problem is the wise men aren't at the manger. (laughs) But we do this just to incorporate the full Christmas story. You see, it's not necessarily wrong, but what I can tell you is is that the, 
the, the wise men didn't show up at the manger because of verse 11. We'll get to it in a minute. So really, where were the wise men and where was Jesus kind of when this scene kind of went down? Well, in verse 11, it tells us after coming into the house. So being in a house is far different than being at the manger. So we, we kind of got to get the Christmas story right and not like Hollywood and other things tell us what the story is. That's all I'm trying to do, okay? I'm not trying to tell you you're wrong if you got wise men. I got wise men in my manger scene, okay? You all right? Just want you to know. So the shepherds have left. Jesus is also not a newborn baby when they come here. Because you say, well, how do you know? Because the word for infant and the word for small child are different in the Greek. And this refers to Jesus now as a small child when it says, and the child was there. So I'm just trying to help you, okay? Not trying to kill your Christmas traditions, just trying to help you. Anyway, the, these magi or wise men, they had this position in their culture somewhere between what we call scientists and what we call priests. You've got to know about these wise men that they spent their time charting movements of the stars across the sky because they believe it gave them signs in the future events. As a result of their wisdom, leaders around the world would send their questions to these wise men to gain their perspective and to hear their predictions about the things that would come. So imagine one night they, they saw something they had never seen after years of charting the stars in the skies. And they remember, they, they did this stuff constantly. This is what they gave their lives to. But on one particular night, they saw a bright shining star unlike anything else, and it was hovering over one place. And because it was so shocking to them and so different for them, they left their homes. They began a long journey. They covered thousands of miles. They went to great trouble through much expense, probably were ridiculed and misunderstood by their family and their friends, and they set on a journey. The fact that they visit from far away reminds us of something important, though. That even though Jesus was born king of the Jews, God sent his son for all humanity, not just Israel. For those as far away as Babylon and for those as even as far away as LaGrange, Texas, God sent Jesus. Amen. Now, these wise men, they come and they're looking for the newborn king. That's what the Bible tells us, right? Where is this king? And that tells us a couple of powerful lessons about how we should look for Jesus. So if I want to know Jesus personally, I look for him. Well, then how do I look for him? Well, the first thing is just follow his leading. Follow his leading. Notice the, verse of, uh, the end of verse 2. It says there, for we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Do you notice that? They saw his star. Now, the, they saw the light of his star. So what exactly is his star or what is known as the star of Bethlehem? I did some research on this and found out that in the mid-1930s through 2010, there was a planetarium in Chicago called the Adler Planetarium. And the, the Adler Planetarium presented an annual program called the Star of Wonder. They were going to get scientists to finally prove what the Star of Bethlehem was all about. So they had different proposals from scientists about the Star of Bethlehem. For example, Johannes Kepler thought it was a supernova. That's when a star kind of explodes and gives out such a large amount of light that it lasts for weeks or even months. Well, there have been supernovas so bright that they can be seen even in the daytime. However, as we look back in through history, there is no report of a supernova at any time of Christ's birth. Others there at the Adler Planetarium say it was a comet. You may not know about a comet. Maybe you do, but a comet moves in an elliptical orbit around the sun. Sometimes it's far away, but when it comes close to the earth, it can have a very, very bright appearance. 
However, there's no report of a comet around Jesus's birth. Another possibility that they leave forth was it's a planetary conjunction. When planets are aligned, it's, for example, tomorrow you will see this. Tomorrow, for the first time in 805 years, Jupiter, Mars, and Saturn were perfectly aligned, and they create a brighter light in the nighttime sky. Again, you can see this happen for the first time in 800-some years. It's called the Christmas star. But that's really not what these wise men saw, because there's no report of that through the historical documents. The truth of the matter is, really, there's no natural phenomena that can account for what the wise men said they saw. Because the wise men said they saw a heavenly light appear and then go ahead of them and then stand over a particular spot. That wasn't a a natural phenomenon, but I believe it was a supernatural miracle. And I want you to track with me. I believe personally, and I could be wrong and I'm okay to be wrong, but I believe the best explanation of the star of Bethlehem is found in the Old Testament. Because the Bible says that the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God would appear then it would go ahead of the people, and then it would remain in a certain place. It would lead the Israelites in the wilderness and do so as a pillar of fire in the wilderness and would stand over the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God. You see, I believe the star, the star of Bethlehem, the star here, which the Magi saw, was the Shekinah glory of God, and it stood over the holy place where the holy child was born. It was the same kind of glory that appeared to the shepherds on the night of Jesus's birth, when the Bible says the glory of the Lord shone all around them and they were filled with great fear. It was a supernatural light sent by a supernatural God to mark the supernatural birth of his supernatural son. That's what I believe, church. You see, long before Christ was born, God had said this star would appear. In Numbers, speaking through Balaam, a pagan prophet, we read these words, Numbers 24, 17. I see him, but not now. I look at him, but not near. A star shall appear from Jacob. A scepter shall rise from Israel. Now that prophecy was fulfilled in verse 10 of Matthew chapter two. It says in verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly. There we have prophecy being fulfilled. If you want to look for Jesus, you simply follow his leading. He provides you the light you need when you need it. God's always going to lead people who are looking for Jesus. You know, when I was in the military during the first Gulf War, we were located in Saudi Arabia. And and I can just remember on one mission, we were out in the middle of the desert somewhere. And if you've never been in the desert when it's dark, it's totally different dark in the desert. Okay, there's no lights anywhere. And we were in a war and we were trying to move our company from one location to another. Now, I'm not trying to impress you with this kind of information because I really can kind of get this wrong. I'm colorblind, so I don't know what color these lights I'm about to tell you were, were, but I'm telling you, to me, they look like they were gray. They could be any color. I don't know. But they're called blackout lights, and they're used on the back rear bumpers of military vehicles. There's about three or four of them kind of in a little strip, like a little Pez kind of thing, these little candy things. They're like, like that to me. They're on the back of these bumpers, And what happens is when you're traveling in military formation, these kind of scenarios, you can't put your headlights on, kind of give you away, (laughs) right? So they got these things and you just flip them on, there's this little switch and they look like they're little glowing, little cat's eyes in the back of these vehicles. And so you, the only way you're going to get to where you're supposed to be is to follow the little lights in front of you. And it's completely dark. And the only way you're going to get to where you're going is to simply to trust the person in front of you. It's really scary. I, I mean, if you've never been there, Training's one thing, but in a war, it's completely different, okay? 
Beloved, I want to tell you something that brought my mind as I was thinking about that. We're in a war and we live in a dark world and we need some light, but we need somebody to lead us. Somebody's got to go first, but that's exactly what God does. He goes before us and he, and he kind of turns on the lights, if you will. He throws up the Christmas star and the black sky and he says, hey, look, if you wanted to get to your destination, follow me, follow Jesus. If you want to know Jesus personally, you have to be looking for the light. That's exactly what these guys were doing. They found Jesus because they were looking for him. If you want to find Jesus, you got to look for him. The Bible tells me in Jeremiah 29, 13, it says this. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. If you want to know Jesus personally, look for him with all your heart and you'll find him. So how do I seek Jesus? Well, I follow God's leading. But secondly, these wise men tell us this, focus on learning. Focus on learning because in verse three and four, it says this, when King Herod heard this, he was troubled and gathering together the chief priests and scribes, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. You see, when they arrived, Herod brought the priests and the scribes and asked them, hey, Where's the Messiah to be born? Well, can I just tell you something, Herod? That hasn't been a secret. And you know it hasn't been a secret. You are a deceiver and you're a liar. You know where this thing's going now because 700 years before this, Micah the prophet said exactly where it was going to happen. You see, Matthew 2.5 here is, and 2.6 is really a quote from Micah 5.2. So if you look there in, in verse six, you will see that the prophet Micah predicted 700 years before this exactly where Jesus was going to be born. And you Bethlehem, land of Judah, for out of you will come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Here's the point. They were looking for Jesus and to find him, they looked into the word of God, which means they knew the word of God. You see, if you want to seek Jesus, you can't know him apart from his word. So you have to focus on learning through who Jesus is by looking into his word. So they traveled a little over five miles from Bethlehem to Jerusalem to find Jesus. And when you look into the word of God and focus on learning, you will see Jesus on every single page. He will show you his plans in his past few. Because this right here, this book is God's love letter to you and me. So I want to encourage you. As the year closes and a new one begins, can you read through this book yet again in 2021? I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you, man, my plan is I kept to my plan last year. I've read through this book four times this year. I want to challenge you to read through it just once next year. There are plans. You can go on the Internet. You can find all kinds of plans. You can just read the New Testament next year. Just read one book of the Bible next year. I don't know, but get into the book next year. Amen. Let's be people of the book next year. If you want to know Jesus, you got to learn from the, from the book. You see, what I found is that God's word is like a snowfall. Now, Jeremy, I know you don't like the word snow, and it's okay. But a single snowflake ain't going to really help anybody much, right? But the more it falls, the bigger the difference it makes. And that's what I found with God's word. You just get into it a little bit, it ain't going to make much of a difference. But if you just daily into it and let it like just snowflakes, it just keeps falling. After a while, there's an accumulation that's exactly how it is. If you read it and you focus on learning from it, you will see Jesus and know him personally. Now, here's something can I tell you as I challenge you to read through the book this year. Can I just challenge you this? Don't worry about how much you get through this book. Focus on how much this book gets through to you. Amen. Don't worry about how much you read. Worry about how much it really reads you. Let it speak to you. It'll have that cumulative effect. 
Nevertheless, these, these wise men, they found Jesus because they were looking for him, because Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is. So, so if I want to find Jesus, I look here because this is Jesus in written form. Amen. The Bible tells me in Hebrews 4.12, it says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Listen to me. Here's what I need to tell you. Jesus is Hebrews 4.12. That's what the, that's what the Hebrews is all about. The, the greater priest, the, the bigger Messiah. Hebrews is all about Jesus. And that description is about the Lord Jesus. That is who this book is. Amen. And so I want to challenge you. If you want to look for Jesus, if you're going to know him personally, you focus in, you focus in on learning, you follow his leading. But thirdly, these wise men teach me this to faithfully listen, to faithfully listen. You see, the priests and the scribes knew Micah's prophecies and Herod did too. But the wise men did something everybody else didn't do. They actually listened and did what the word said. The word said he's going to be in Bethlehem. Guess where we need to go? We need to go to Bethlehem. Verse 9 says this. After hearing, hearing the word, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. Why did they do that? Why did they go to Bethlehem? Because they were looking for Jesus. If you're looking for Jesus, you're going to listen when he speaks. Amen. When they sought him, they found him. When they faithfully listened to the word, they did what it said. And that's how they came to know Jesus personally. I don't know in here in just this group, this size, maybe I'm going to ask a question you think is childish. It kind of is, but I want you to play with me anyway. Is anybody in here by just raising of hands ever played hide and go seek? Anybody? Oh man, I got a bunch of people in here. This is awesome. Isn't it interesting that, that all of us kind of come from different parts of the world? All of us have kind of different places in the United States. All of us have been raised in usually different decades, but yet every single one of us knows how to play this game. Isn't that cool? Now, the seeker in the game of hide-and-go-seek, when, when you're going to find people, what are you called? You're called it, right? right? You're it. You're it. And if you were it, the first thing you did was to close your eyes and to do what? Count. And how did you count? Did you count really slow? You count as fast as you can. So they would always say, hey, count to 100. And you'd go, one, two, skip a few, 100. And you'd be gone, right? That's how I played, right? You don't give me all the rules, I'm going to make up my own, okay? So watch. So you hide your face and you count as fast as you can. Then you'd say this phrase, ready or not, here I come, right? Then you started seeking. So how many of you in here love being it? How many of you love to do all the hiding? Anybody? Okay. Most people don't like to be it. That's just the way it is. We like to hide, right? I mean, we always find the best places to hide and you hope nobody would ever find you. I've hidden so well in the past, I almost passed out because I was hiding under blankets in the hot summertime and I would almost kill myself. But, but I love to hide. That's just, I like it. I'm little and I can get into places. It's awesome. But sometimes when it comes to God... We think he's playing hide-and-go-seek with us. We think God's kind of out there hiding somewhere, and we're it, and we have to find him. We're thinking that God, since he created the universe, certainly he knows where to hide in the best places, and we can just never find him, so we get frustrated like we do in hide-and-go-seek. When you can't find people, you just give up. And I want you to know today, maybe that's how you feel today. Maybe you're like, man, ready or not, God, I've been looking for you, and I've been searching for you, but I just can't find you. You always seem to hide from me. 
And if that's you today, I want you to know something incredibly cool. I want you to look back at Jeremiah 29, 13. It says, and if I seek him with all my heart, I will be found. God says, you will find me. See, God's not hiding. He wants you to know him. He wants you to know him personally. He wants you to know his son. And the truth is that we're the ones that are hiding. And Jesus is the one that's seeking. And Jesus will find you. He came to seek and save that which is lost. He's a very good it. He knows exactly where you're at today. Can I tell you the truth? If you'll look for Jesus, he'll always find you. If you'll look for Jesus, he'll always find you. As you follow God's leading, you get into his word, you focus on learning how he acts and what he's doing, and God will speak to you. And when he does, just listen to what he says and do it. And as you do it, he will reveal himself more to you. As you see him and as you obey him, you will come to know him more personally. That's exactly what these wise men did. They began looking for him, and then they began what? Let's dig into the word, and then we'll do what it says. That's only when they found Jesus. Here's some hope. God revealed the birth of Jesus to wise men who were thousands of miles away who didn't even know he existed. Nevertheless, they followed his leading. They went to his word, focused on learning, and then they faithfully listened and they found him and came to know him personally. So that tells me it doesn't matter where I come from or how much I do or don't know. I can know Jesus personally this Christmas if I'm just looking for him. Kind of reminds me of a story. And as I kind of look out this way and I kind of look out this way, I know some people here from East Texas. Well, I got some news for y'all, man. There was a contest held out in East Texas. It was in a local school one Christmas season a few years ago. And one of the prize winners of of this picture that was drawn for Christmas was a nine-year-old boy, and he showed three wise men offering gifts to baby Jesus in the manger. What made his picture unique was how the wise men got there. Well, this little boy showed that the three wise men got there and they, because they got there because there was a fire truck. He, he painted a fire truck right beside the three wise men. Well, the principal was like, hey, that's super interesting. I don't really know what the fire truck has to do with the Christmas story, but please tell me, little boy. Well, in that East Texas accent, he said, well, you know, the Bible says them wise men, they come from afar. I just want you to know, that's the way they do it in East Texas. That's what I'm heard. But maybe, maybe you're coming from afar. Maybe you're really far from God. Maybe you're not as close as you used to be. Maybe you've kind of drifted. Maybe you don't really know anything about this Jesus. But can I tell you today, you can know him today personally just by looking for him. You can know him. Here's the second thing these wise men teach us. You can know Jesus personally by loving him. By loving him. You can know him personally by loving him. They left Jerusalem and went to Bethlehem. The star led them to exactly where the child was. Verses 10 and 11 tell me, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly. And after coming to the house, they fell down the ground and worshiped him and gave him these gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Well, how do I really love Jesus? You see, if I'm looking for him, I'll find him. And when I find him, I'll love him. I guarantee you, if you ever find Jesus, you will love him because you realize that he's been loving you first. Can I tell you, how do we really love Jesus? Well, this tells us, these wise men teach us, I love him by boasting of his glory. I just boast of his glory. Verse 11 tells me that they fell down and worshiped him. 
Now, if you look there in the text, it says this. They fell to the ground and worshiped him. That word worship is very interesting to me. The word worship there literally means, and it's tied to the idea of kissing someone. So that kind of brought new meaning to my personal devotions. I was like, hey, baby. Never mind. It was used to designate someone you held in high esteem. And because you held them in high esteem, you immediately fell down to your feet and kissed the hem of their garment. That's what this word means. So that tells me that these these wise men were fully grown men. They were respected men of, of, of greatness, of renown. But when they came into the house, they fell down and kissed the feet of Jesus because they knew he wasn't just any child. They knew he was a king. And they knew kings deserve to be worshipped. You see, the one we worship at Christmas is not just a baby in a manger. He's the eternal king and the God of the universe, and he deserves our worship. Amen? And I remember reading about the French general and emperor, Napoleon Bonaparte. He said, if Socrates would enter the room, we would rise and honor him. But if Jesus would enter the room, we should fall on our knees and worship him. If dignity comes into the room, we stand and we applaud But if Jesus comes in, we should fall to our knees in absolute silence. You see, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. And we've been created for his glory. And he won't share his glory with another. So when we love the Lord by boasting of his glory, that's really the way we worship him. Amen. William Temple, the Archbishop of Canterbury during World War II, said something amazing about worship. It should be on the screen. He said this. Worship is the submission of all our nature to God. It's the quickening of the conscience by his holiness, the nourishment of mind with his truth, the purifying of imagination by his beauty, the opening of the heart to his love, the surrender of his will to his purpose. All this gathered up in adoration, the most selfless emotion which our nature is capable. You see, here's what I'm trying to tell you. Worship isn't something we work up. If you need a band to help work you up or you need a hymn to help work you up, That ain't what worship is. Worship is a response to who Jesus is. When Jesus is just declared, our response is worship. He is glorious. Therefore, I boast of his glory. That's worship to me. Worship is I respond to Jesus's holiness. Worship is when I hear his word, I respond with worship thinking that is the most amazing thing I've ever heard. It's finding about his glorious beauty and letting his beauty fill my imagination to the point where I worship him in response. It's loving him with my heart. It's surrendering to his will. It's really just coming. Oh, come, let us adore him. That's what worship is. That's how I love him. I boast of his glory. But how else do I love him? Well, they teach me that I do it by bringing him gifts. I bring him gifts. You know the Christmas story. They brought him what? Gold, frankincense, and what? Myrrh. Here we see they open their treasures to him. Again, please, please be with me. Please bear with me. I'm not here to split hairs with you. I'm just trying to hear to tell you something. Listen to me very carefully. The Bible doesn't tell us there were three wise men. Legend does. So what I know here is, is that there had to be more than one because as I looked in the text, it's in the plural. So I don't know that there were three, but I at least know that there were more than one. So that tells me there could have really been two, 12 or 30 wise men that showed up. We don't really know. 
but we like to stick with three. Now, again, if you have three, that's great. If you have more than that, that's great. I, I love you. It's awesome. But what I'm trying to tell you is, is that these gifts, they think there were three wise men because there were three gifts, but that might not be the way it happened. I'm just trying to help you. <laughs> trying to help you, church. I think I'm doing that right. See, I'm learning. This is awesome. That reminds me of a newspaper cartoon uh, called The Far Side. Anybody ever read that when you were younger? Yeah, I got some people out there. And this, this cartoon, The Far Side, they had these three wise men coming up to the house, but there's really four of them, and you didn't know it because one of them is walking away. Well, the caption says something like this. It says, unknown to most people, there were really four wise men. One was turned away because he brought fruitcake. <laughs> Amen. I mean, don't, don't give me fruitcake for Christmas. Amen. I'm not down on that. But anyway, I digress. Where was that? Oh, yeah. Talking about the gifts. There was gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Did you know that these gifts tell us something? See, the gold, this was a gift for a king because gold emphasizes Jesus' royalty and his dominion. Frankincense, this was used in the temple for sacrifice and worship. It had a very strong smell. This emphasizes Jesus' divine nature and his deity that he should be worshipped. Myrrh, myrrh was a strange thing for a small child because it was used for embalming. It was used to anoint the body of a dead person. You see, these wise men didn't know it, but in their gifts they were prophesying about what he really came to do, that he was going to die for the sins of the world. But why? Because he was the king of kings who deserved to be worshipped. Amen. There was also simple significance. They were coming to see a king, so they brought gifts fitting for a king. Amen. It was customary that when you went to see a king, you brought gifts. So when they came to worship King Jesus, they brought their gifts. The same thing should be true for us. When we come gathered together to worship King Jesus, we should bring our gifts. Psalm 96, 8 says it this way. The Bible says, ascribe to the glory, the glory of the Lord, and bring him what? Come into his courts with these gifts. This is one of the reasons why, I'm just again trying to help people understand, if you're not familiar with church, it's not because I need your money. I don't, I don't need money. That's not what I'm doing this for. The Bible says we come and we bring our tithes. As Justin said, we had regular offering that we take up. That's called our tithe. Tithe is 10% of our income. And let me help you with something. It comes out before you pay Uncle Sam, too. You definitely want to give to Jesus before you give to the government. But it's 10% of your income. That's what we're taught to do in the scripture. That's called the tithe. Tithe means 10%. We bring that gift when we come with us every time we worship. But we also bring offerings. Offerings is above and beyond the tithe. I don't give less than the tithe, but if I give more, I can make that an offering. These guys brought an offering to the Lord Jesus. So why do we do the Lottie uh, Moon Christmas offering? It's above and beyond our tithe that we feel led to give above and beyond so that other people can know about Jesus. It's the way we worship him as we bring our gifts. The Bible also talks about our bodies being a sacrifice of praise. So we present ourselves every time we come. We present ourselves to the Lord Jesus. That's how we know him personally. That's how we love him. We boast of his glory and then we bring him gifts. But these wise men leave us with one other important thing is I love him by beginning with grace. I love him by beginning with grace. You see, here's something that I find incredibly interesting. Verse 12 says, Having been warned by God in a dream, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Can I tell you something? These wise men left Bethlehem and went home changed. 
See, what brought about the change? Well, the Holy Spirit knew something they didn't know. You see, they didn't know how much of a snake Herod really was. Herod told them he wanted to worship Jesus, but he really just wanted to know where he was at so he could kill him. Well, they didn't know that. They didn't know that was a lie, but the Holy Spirit showed them that it was a lie. So in a dream, God warned them and told them about the plot. Therefore, they went home another way. That is grace if I've ever seen it. That's grace when you don't know what you don't know, but God tells you so that you can go home a different way. Listen very carefully because of his great grace. Listen to me very carefully. When we come to Jesus, we always go home a different way. When you really come to Jesus, you will leave different than you came. That's what grace is all about. So we don't start with us. We start with what he's done. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new has come and the old has gone. Every time we see an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament, every single time somebody comes into contact with Jesus, something changes. And can I tell you, it's not Jesus. It's not his word. It's always the people who came into contact with Jesus. So the Bible says they went home a different way because they had been changed by the grace of Jesus. The grace of Jesus is also seen in these three gifts. Gold. Gold refers to purity. When we come to Jesus, just as we are, sinners, separated from God, guilty, deserving of punishment, impure, when we come to that, Jesus liked that, Jesus takes our sin upon him and gives us his righteousness. Isn't that amazing? That's what Christmas is really about. What is this frankincense about? Well, the aroma that filled the temple. And that's what happens when you and I come to Jesus and place our faith in him for the forgiveness of our sins. We are born again. We are dead spiritually and can't get to God. The spirit of God forgives our sins and comes inside of us and makes us born again to the things of God. And when we're born again to the things of God, the Holy Spirit takes presence in our lives and makes us an aroma that is pleasing to God. What about this myrrh? Bible tells us that that's used for embalming fluid. And you see, when I come to Jesus, I die to myself and I'm crucified with Christ and I'm hidden in Jesus. And then I'm raised with Christ. Jesus prepares me so that I will never have to face eternal death, friends. What grace. You see, truly, we lead different when we meet King Jesus. And if I want to know Jesus personally, I have to begin with grace. I can't cleanse myself. I can't do anything to earn God's forgiveness. I can't do anything to change myself, to make myself acceptable to God. I can't do anything. I have to simply just wait for a word from God. And the word is always going to be Jesus. The word is always going to be, I have grace for you. Listen to me. I can love God because God first loved me. That's what grace does. I can know Jesus personally by looking for him and loving him. Jeremy, would you come today as we move into our time of invitation? I don't know if you've heard of an evangelist by the name of Louis Palau. Anybody heard of him? Louis Palau, anybody heard of that guy? Yeah, it's a good guy. He tells a story about a wealthy European family that had they had their baby baptized around Christmas time. And all the rich family entered in with all the pomp and circumstance that the European wealthy families kind of do. And they, they kind of put all their clothes, all these heavy garments, these, these nice long robes, these big uh, emancipated, just kind of cool kind of coats, these fur mink things. As I was just reading the descriptions, they, they put all these rich clothes upon the bed. 
Well, after a while, they were all kind of chatting and doing their thing and having their little hors d'oeuvres. And somebody began to ask the question, where's the baby? We kind of come for the baptism of the baby. Where's the baby? Well, the governess of the house, she ran upstairs and she returned down with this desperate look on her face. Then people began to remember that they had saw the baby was asleep on the bed where they were putting their clothes. So they ran upstairs and they found that baby covered in all the coats and all the furs. You see, the object of the celebration had been forgotten, even neglected, and really smothered. And I'm really afraid sometimes that if we're not careful, Jesus, the object of Christmas, can get hidden underneath all the stuff when we're really even trying to celebrate what we came to celebrate. We've got to do like those wise men did. We've got to keep asking, where is this baby? Where is this baby? Where is this king? Where is this one who has been born? They looked for him and they found him. And because they found him, they loved him. If you want to know Jesus personally, you can today. I'm going to tell you, look no further than the cross. Jesus is here. He's in this room today. He's inside every one of us who've claimed upon him. If you don't know the Lord Jesus, today's a great day to look for him. But, but maybe he's just gotten distant to you today. Can I tell you, you can keep looking. You're going to find him. And I promise you, if you find him today, you will laud him and you will love him as king of kings and Lord of lords. Maybe you've been challenged today. Maybe you've been encouraged today. I don't really know what the Lord has been doing in your life today. But I can tell you this, I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to have you rise to your feet. We're going to sing a song. And if the Lord's spoken to you in any way, you need us to pray for you. You need us to pray over you. You've got things going on. You've got questions. You've got concerns. You just need us to pray. You just, you just want to speak, say a word of encouragement to somebody. This time is all for that. What's most important and near and dear to my heart is that no one leaves this room without knowing the Lord Jesus. And can I tell you today, you can know King Jesus personally. And can I tell you today, he would absolutely change your life. He won't make it all that you think it is. It'll be harder than it ever was before, trust me. But Jesus wants to save you and he wants to forgive you. He wants to make you right with him. He wants to show you why you were even born. So if you need King Jesus, there'll be some others down here. There'll be some of my deacons and some other people, Justin. Some other people here to receive you, to pray with you. But would you stand together with me as I pray and we'll begin singing, Jeremy, here in just a moment. Would you stand as I pray? Lord Jesus, you're at the right hand of the Father. You're reigning and ruling. And you're still telling your story about how you came at Christmas, how you lived the perfect life, went to a cross, went to a tomb and raised again. You're spreading this good news to all the world that today in the city of David, a Savior has been born. May you minister now to your people, to those who don't know you. May they truly come to a saving knowledge of Christ personally today. And I pray it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Let's sing and you come.